Joshua the Redskins partner, and Joshua Johnson, I'm here to make you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build a foundation. This is the Dynasty Bowl, presented by the Dynasty Football Wheel. It's not essentially so much the actual 40 time as it is the 10-yard split. And part of it is, is, look, we're in an era with some ridiculously talented defensive players. Guys like J.J. Watt with the amazing size, athletic ability, and quickness that they have. These guys are going to blow up a running play in three-quarters of a second. No offensive coordinator in the world has the page where they go, okay, second and 14, here's what I want to run. I want all 12 of us fighting for every meter on all three downs. But we're going to make this a boxing day the Prime Minister will never forget. Okay. Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is a man that uh, well, really just screwed me out of getting the quarterback in DFW 16. What's up, Nick? <laughs> How you doing, Josh? I I, you know, there's only one quarterback that I wanted this year, so I had to pull the trigger to get my guy, even if it meant uh, trading a little bit. How are you doing today? Uh, yeah, yeah, and he didn't really give up that much. But, man, I suppose it's my fault. I had three first-round picks, and with the third one, I opted to go Miles Jack when I probably could have waited. And But, I, you know, I thought I didn't necessarily want Goff or Wentz in that league, but I was just like, oh, I grabbed Paxton Lynch to get the third, right? No, that was not not the case. Nick took Wentz, and then somebody else had a pick, and then Goff and Lynch were gone. So it's interesting dynamic that 16 team league. We only start one quarterback, but uh, with it being a best ball, it's uh, pretty uh, pretty interesting to see. Uh, how quickly those quarterbacks get snatched up. I figured that was going to happen once somebody took one, and uh, that's how we, how it goes. We uh, are obviously in the middle of rookie draft mayhem. We'll get to that towards the end of the show. But uh, it's been a lot of fun, Nick. We are in DFW 16, which is a 16-team league, um, full IDP, so that makes it really interesting. We just started an offensive only league today. That's just a normal, boring old 12-team league. Uh, I took Treadwell with the second overall pick in that. Um, and then DFW 36, which is another full IDP league, three copies of each player. And then DFW 48, offense only, four copies of each player. So there's – I love that uh, – I mean, it is nice or just kind of, you know, I guess not nice. It's a lot. It's a little much for them all going at the same time. Granted, they started in different dates, but – they all have a little bit of a different dynamic to them. Oh, man, you know, we're entering the third round of our 16-team league, and you would not believe the people we have to draft. <laughs> it's amazing how much an extra uh, four players adds up at the end of every round. So, but anyway, today we are here to talk about our top ten rookie running backs, now that the landing spots are, as they may for the time being at least. Um, so... We uh, we'll get into that in a second, but uh, we I thought we'd start out by doing a little bit of a dilemma as we pit probably the third and fourth running back overall. Pretty much it's a consensus with Kenneth Dixon versus Devonte Booker. Um, any I excuse me, I had the chance to go first, so I chose Dixon, and uh, well, frankly, Nick got a little excited, so we'll we'll. Uh, 
we'll leave it at that. But uh, let's uh, play the music so I can catch my breath. Remember that 
the GM is Ozzie Newsom, who is a very talent, who is a very talented player and even more talented button pusher for the Ravens. I am voting Dixon as franchise RB for the for the next Ravens Super Bowl run. What do you got for us on Devontae Booker? Well, right now I have Devontae Booker as my uh, rookie running back number three. Kenneth Dixon is uh, rookie running back number four. But really the only reason Dixon is that high is because of the weakness of the class in general. Now, I'm, I'm not usually someone who obsesses over measurables like Dixon's small hands that are only eight and a half inches. But when something like that is combined with an on-the-field problem, like Dixon's 13 fumbles in the last three seasons, that becomes a major red flag to me. Uh, Dixon also has dealt with ankle and knee issues. Uh, now, 20 years ago, it may have been seen as a strength when college running backs had four years of solid production. But now we, we know that a running back's body can only withstand so many hits. And Dixon had nearly 900 touches at Louisiana Tech. Uh, that's a lot for a player who's only five foot ten, two hundred fifteen pounds. Uh, Dixon is also not as strong of a blocker as Booker, which could limit his snap count, especially early on. Well, you know, and maybe the crowded backfield is going to limit his snap count also. Justin Forsett, Buck Allen, uh, Lorenzo Taliaferro. It is possible Dixon beats them all out for touches, and it ends up being Baltimore's running back number one. But it's just as possible he ends up being the RB three or four on Baltimore's depth chart. Uh, Booker has less competition. Yes, C.J. Anderson is around and got paid, so he's probably going to be the RB1. But the RB2 is Ronnie Hillman, and I would say that all three of those Baltimore running backs are probably better than Hillman. So Booker should be no worse than Denver's RB2. Uh, Now, Booker also has far better wide receivers that uh, prevent the defense from loading the box to shut down the run. Uh, Now, when Booker transferred from junior college to Utah, it only took him three games for him to secure the lead back role. That kind of proves that he can quickly adapt to new environments. To me, Booker is one of the very few running backs in this draft class that has a chance to become a three-down back. So I have no problem ranking him my RB3. But truth be told, if I needed a running back, I would try like hell to trade back. The difference between the running backs 3, 4, and 5 and running backs 9 and 10 in this class is pretty negligible, really. I mean, if you can get future picks and a lesser-ranked running back, I would say do it. What do you think, Josh? I was really waiting for you to uh, bring up the fact that I drafted Devontae Booker. <laughs> but uh, – um, well, that's cause all, it's obvious because all the Dixon copies are gone. That was going to be my rebuttal there. But, uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, you, you got me thinking, too, as far as kind of how different drafts have gone. And, you know, I guess Booker went above Dixon in the actual NFL draft, so maybe that tells us a little something. Uh, but uh, with the fact that, uh, you know, all those quarterbacks went in front of me in DNW 16, I was able to score Keith Marshall. Um, now I know as a Matt Jones owner, that maybe maybe got you back a little bit. I, I didn't do that just to spite you. Well, maybe I did. But anyway, <laughs> I, I honestly believe in him. I think he's somewhat of a risky play, and he's probably not a guy that I want to, I want to take. I got no problem doing that because I think the reward that he could give, you know, even if it's a step down from Todd Gurley, that's still way better than Matt Jones as far as I'm concerned. So, um Anyway, that was supposed to be about Booker versus Dixon. I got a little lost there, but th- you're right. I think I think the value, obviously beyond Zeke, is is all pretty pretty interchangeable. So if if you're more comfortable with one of these things, and I I honestly think I know there's a lot of backs in Baltimore. I think Dixon rises pretty quickly. You know, Justin Forsett's not going to be on that team next year, and he's probably their starter next year. 
I think the same could be said for Booker. He could be their starter next year, but I think I think it might take a couple years for him to de- really develop. As long as Denver, you know, treats that knee the way they should. So, but but then again, the reason you got to go Dixon there is just the fact that it takes two years for Booker to to come to fruition, be an RB one in Denver. That's going to make him twenty six years old before you know. And I don't know how many elite years we're going to get out of him. I drafted him for my team because I felt like I'm going to need him to be at his best, you know, next year and the year after. So I'm pretty happy with having a running back in that situation and let him need somebody to perform right away. So, and again, all the Dixon copies are done. So, um, each and every, any more thoughts there, Nick? Sorry. Um, no, I think we hit it pretty good. And I loved your angle on the, uh, there's no such thing as a minor surgery. I just got to say that. Uh, I, I didn't sit down and think, you know, how can I just somehow work my vasectomy into a podcast? But uh, I didn't really <laughs> think that. It just kind of happened. And I was like, you know, I was kind of on the fence. And I'm just like, you know, first segment of the show, I, I don't know if I should go there. But I just went for it. So each and every week, I uh, give my co-host a chance to kind of rant about It's uh, honestly uh, my favorite a lot of the time, it just brightens my day, and uh, sometimes it's uh, shot and fire, sometimes he uh, likes to uh, call people out, but I always appreciate what Nick has for us and Nick Rams. What do you got for us today, buddy? So when Josh Norman was essentially released by Carolina, I think it was Patrick Peterson who tweeted to him, know your worth. And that seems to be Ryan Fitzpatrick's stance this offseason, and good for him. Uh, he went 10-6 as a starter last year, 3,900 yards, 31 touchdowns, and only 15 interceptions. Those are not elite numbers, but they're very solid, a lot better than Geno Smith would have had. And Bryce Petty must not have been very impressive in practice since they used a second-round pick on a quarterback. And, I mean, really, Christian Hackenberg in round two? <laughs> Well, at least all he has to do is top Browning Nagel's 1992 season of 3-10 and 10 with seven touchdowns and 17 interceptions, under 50% completion percentage, and then he won't be the worst New York Jets second-round quarterback of all time. Uh, but you know what? This year's mediocre quarter, quarterback class, Hackenberg was really my least favorite. But with Fitzpatrick, uh, the New York Jets are a playoff contender. Without him, they're going to go 6-10. and 10. So why not pay him? Or, you know, another team like Denver. Why not sign him? Lynch is a project. Sanchez is okay, but Ryan Fitzpatrick's is better. With Fitzpatrick, the Denver could be a Super Bowl contender again. I would take him over the duo of Osweiler and last year's version of Peyton Manning. Uh, now, the New York Jets reportedly offered Fitzpatrick $8 million a year. Uh, to put that in perspective, Chase Daniel got three years, $21 million. That's $7 million a year for a third-string quarterback who's thrown exactly one touchdown in the NFL. Thankfully, they must teach math at Harvard, so Ryan Fitzpatrick knows that he's worth more than a third-string guy who's got only one career touchdown pass. He's smart enough to sit out if he's not fairly compensated. Now, if the Jets are willing to pay him, but they're just playing hardball, they better be careful. I mean, wouldn't anybody really be shocked if, say, in Cleveland, RG3 struggled to pick up the offense in minicamp, and then the Browns made a desperate run at Fitzpatrick, or if another team's starter got hurt? I mean, really, in a year when Tom Brady may miss the first four games, the New York Jets have a golden opportunity to jump out to an early lead in the standings. It would really be a shame if they wasted that chance over a few lousy million dollars. Don't you think, Josh? Yes. I, I, you know, I tend to agree. And 
actually what spurned this rant was <laughs> Christian Hackenberg not choosing to wear his number 14 from college uh, to Fitzpatrick. But I and I hear you what Fitzpatrick did, but you got to look at the fact that he had two very awesome receivers. Something he's obviously never had in his career, but this is the only. From the Jets' standpoint, this is the only winning season he's even had in his career. Granted, he's just been kind of a throwaway, you know, he's their just-in-case, you know, quarterback. But uh, I do appreciate the Jets standing their ground because – but, you know, the other the other domino to fall on this is we expected them to trade Muhammad Wilkerson, and that just – that was supposed to happen during the draft. Remember that? Everybody was saying that was going to happen in the draft. It hasn't happened, so uh, – I, I don't understand the whole money side of the NFL, um, nor, nor do I really want to. It's, I think it would, it would be, that's when it becomes really boring to me. But, uh, um, you know, unless, unless stuff makes total sense. And I think this is one of those cases. I just I, – I don't know if the Jets – you know, the Jets are offering what they can, and I, I mean, I guess I don't know what their cap space is or whatnot. I guess that's kind of the boring side for me. I'm a fantasy nerd, but uh, what uh, – I think the longer they hold out, the, the more willing Fitzpatrick is going to be to uh, to sign. And I think the Jets are in a pretty good position. It's not like, you know, they're worried about Fitzpatrick learning an offense. You know, they can sit there all summer long if it takes that long. Let Geno Smith and Bryce Petty get all the reps possible. And then if they really, you know, Fitzpatrick finally says, okay, you know, maybe, maybe he comes in and, and – and uh, and plays, but maybe you know maybe they think uh, Gino's Gino's ready to go. I mean I, I don't know. We'll see. It's, in th- in that case, they probably don't want eight million dollars wrapped up into Fitzpatrick. So uh, again, not a not a situation I'm necessarily comfortable talking with money wise. But I think that's that's the whole part of it, and that's what it boils down to. Because as boring as it sounds, the NFL is also too a business. Um, like that delayed pause there, Nick. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> let's get to the top ten running backs. Now, before we get to our top ten, Nick, is there anybody that you just couldn't squeeze into your top ten that you wanted to, that you wanted to throw out at me? Uh, well, there is one guy uh, that I actually drafted yesterday, and that would be Wendell Smallwood in Philadelphia. Now, I know this kid's got lots of uh, off-the-field red flags, but you got to figure his pathway to uh, playing time is pretty uh, – it's pretty good for a guy that's outside of the top 10 running backs. I mean, uh, Ryan Matthews, the starter there in Philadelphia has a pretty long injury history. Darren Sproles, another running back there on the depth chart. He's not in every down back. Love Darren Sproles. Love him, but he's not in every down back. So Wendell Smallwood, the guy outside of my top 10 that I think could, could possibly have a pretty good impact if he can keep his nose clean off the field. No, no Keon Barner love there. Come on. I know how much you love your ducks. <laughs> well, Chip's out of town now, so it's a little tougher, uh, a little tougher path for the Ducks to get to see the field now. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, but I think he, if he can prove that he can play uh, pass pro and and do, do a little, few little things in the receiving game, I think Doug Peterson could really, really fall in love with him. So that, that's just, that's just well, all I'll say about that there. So, um. Yeah, so the guy outside my top ten, and and I don't know why he keeps he kept, he creeps back in or is around there for me, but it's uh, Keon Drake. Um, I think uh, 
I have been very vocal because I just don't think he's a running back. I think he's best served as maybe a wide receiver, maybe a slot receiver. But uh, in terms of landing spot, we know that Miami wanted to get running backs on this roster, and I, and I think they'll use him, and I think that's going to make make a lot of things uh, worth it for you for you people to own him, especially if you own Jai. I mean, that's that's how I, I own him in a couple leagues, and I, that's how I'm trying to convince myself into into drafting him. So I just uh, into drafting Dick. I think that's a good one. Um, one guy I just haven't quite worked in there. Oh, I'm sorry. I did work him in there. I'm sorry. I'm re- I'm re- honestly redoing my ranks. As I, I won't lie to you. Uh, uh, we uh, we'll get to the other other guy. Oh yeah, the one guy that I just just slipped out to to get to get a, a Raider in, and I'm not trying to be a homer. I just think this the case is Calvin Taylor. I know there's a lot of RBs. Mike Davis, Carlos Hyde in San Francisco, and they always seem to have a couple more hanging around. But I I just think there's a lot of talent there, and I think he's a guy that could, you know, as being being a Duck fan, I'm sure, sure you can attest, that's the kind of running back that um, Chip Kelly likes. He's 5'10", 205, 210, whatever it is. I don't know the exact specs, but I just think, if given a chance, you know, if if things open up injury wise, and I think I think the same about Mike Davis there too. So I think, not that I think there's anything wrong with Hyde, I just don't think that big that big bigger style back what Chip Kelly wants. He likes those shorter guys. So excuse me. I think uh, Taylor could potentially do some damage, but of course, you know, we have no idea how long Chip's going to be there either. But anyway, Nick, who do you have at number ten? Well, at 10, I have uh, Keith Marshall out of Georgia, the Washington 7th round pick. This guy was a five-star high school recruit, and he had a lot of injuries in college and played behind Todd Gurley, so he didn't get a whole lot of work uh, there in college. But that's not necessarily a negative anymore. And plus, I mean, you can't really fault a guy for that. I, uh, Priest Holmes played behind Ricky Williams in Texas, so he, he was a nobody coming out of school. Uh, you look at the in the NFL – Marcus Allen didn't get a whole lot of work when Mo Jackson was in town with the Raiders. So I, I, it's hard to fault a guy for who he played behind. And in, in Washington, he's only got Matt Jones ahead of him. He could really see some early work in D.C. if Matt Jones fails to live up to the RB1 potential that the, uh, the, the coaching staff there thinks he has. Uh, wow. I got Marshall a little higher on my list. We'll just, say that. We'll just leave it at that. Um so numbers number ten, I have DeAndre Washington. Uh, this he's fi- only five eight. Oh, and I have Taylor Specs right in front of me, five ten, two oh seven. So that's pretty close. Um, his, uh, Washington is only five eight, but he he is the third down back this team has been looking for. You know, he can be what Oakland saw Roy Hulu was going to be for them last year. What Roy, Roy Hulu actually did in Washington. He wasn't, you know, a top 10 running back, but he was just, just PPR little ace up your sleeve type of player. Oh, and by the way, Washington had 1,500 yards rushing too in a pass happy offense last year. So I, I really think that they can work him in. And I think he's also a guy that could run be a little slippery between the tackles because he's one of those shorter backs. 
you know, as much as people want to think that Latavius Murray, just because he's, you know, 6'3", 220, he, he should be a between-the-tackles grinder. He's not. He's best served running off tackle and, and making – you know he can break tackles that way, and he's he's got some he's got some nimble feet. He does present some power inside, but I think a smaller back in today's NFL can work. You look at all these guys, these edge benders and these defensive tackles coming in. You know they're six three to six seven. If you can get a five eight guy to get in there and slip underneath them, uh, I think that's maybe a better serve. So I think you're going to see a role for Washington in Oakland very very soon and, and and might not be a huge wow this year uh but I, I obviously the Raiders fan I hope I'm wrong but as a fantasy football you know prognosticator I think you can't expect a whole lot from him but if they're if he's able to to grow and get in that offense to have a little guy like that to, to you know slip off a block on third down and Carr will absolutely love that I just I think Washington could at his peak, be what no Sean Marino was for that Denver defense that last year he was there. I mean, he caught so many passes when Peyton Manning was under pressure. It was, just, and even if he wasn't getting yards, they weren't losing yards. So he was just a nice bailout option. And hey, every pass is a tick on that PPR meter. So who you have there at number nine, Nick? Uh, at number nine, I have Alex Collins in Seattle. Now, I think uh, both uh, C.J. Precise and Collins would be ranked higher if they didn't both land on the same team. That really hurts both their value in my mind. Uh, you know, it's unlikely that both of these guys are going to end up fantasy studs. I think uh, Alex Collins probably has a higher ceiling as an every down back, whereas Precise has a higher floor due to his receiving ability. Uh, you know, you look at Collins in college, you have 665 carries, only 27 receptions. So it's it's questionable how PPR relevant he's going to be, but he does have a chance to be an every down back if Thomas Rawls uh, isn't, isn't the guy there in Seattle. Yep. Um, sorry, that's good points there in pro face. I, I, I really, I'm really struggling just to find a beat on him. On what exactly they're going on. I mean, they drafted three running backs. I don't even know who's left in the stable. We don't know where Rawls is at. That's just a confusing situation. I have Procise a little higher, so I guess I can talk about him a little bit later. I actually have Collins done at 15 because I think it's. I think draft pedigree or draft position is going to force. Force. Collins down just a little bit, and uh, he's going to need an injury or some major ineffectiveness to uh, to get on to the field. So, um, number nine, I have Paul Perkins. I think that might be a little low on him because I think a lot of people are, especially where I've seen him going to rookie drafts, end of first, early second. I, I I don't see it. There's a lot of blacks there, and I know same could be said for Dixon, Baltimore, but I just. I don't see, think it's going to happen right away. And I, but, you know, even looking at a dynasty perspective, I just don't think he's an RB1. He's a complimentary piece. You know, he could maybe be like a Darren Sproles. You know, I've heard, I heard somebody throw out Tiki Barber the other day. I just don't think that's the case. I maybe even said that the other day. I don't think that's the case. I think it's, I think he's a, a complimentary piece, you know, a, a fringe, you know, a fringe RB two every week at his peak. But I just, I just don't see much more out of that with Perkins. Uh, who do you have at number eight to there, Nick? 
Uh, number eight, I have C.J. Precise. You, you know, he did uh, some work at, in practice with Seattle wide receiver. If that continues, he could have a really nice PPR future. Uh, good pass-catching running back there out of Notre Dame. Uh, he only played one year at running back in college. So, you know, his body is pretty fresh as compared to mo- a lot of these running backs coming out. But he is a little bit raw, so he may take some develop- developmental time. But, but again, you know, if, if Seattle's going to use him as an offensive weapon and move him all around the field, running back, receiver, that could be a pretty nice PPR floor, don't you think? Yeah. Um, I really tried hard on a running back show for Burgundy, try to get Burgundy to get on the David Johnson pro-size translation bandwagon there, but uh, I, I, he's obviously not that type of back. Um, I got pro-size just a little higher, so I'll talk about him in a second, but uh, what, it's going to be very interesting to see what uh, – what comes out of that offense, and hopefully we will get uh, get a beat on it a little bit more as uh, as the season gets closer. Because I just can't uh, I can't quite figure it out right now. Number eight, I got Tyler Irvin. I know Lamar Miller's there, but he's second contract running back. I don't care age, second contract running back. So you know he's got at least four years under his belt. Um, Irvin, and this is. Uh, speaking of Burgundy, this is Burgundy talking to my ear just a little bit. But what what he can give an offense is he's, you know, I think Burgundy went with the Percy Harvin translation. I think he's definitely a guy that can be a between the tackles runner too if you if you need him to be. So fast off the edge, he's gonna gonna wow people. I think with some some big long kickoff returns right away in his rookie campaign, and I don't know if he's an RB one. But he's, you know, he could be an RB one and a half there. You know, he could be a, the Geo if they draft a Jeremy Hill type of style player there. He's he's just so quick and got great hands and understands how to run between the tackles. I, I think it's a bit of a bit of a long shot there, but I gotta I gotta throw him in my top ten because there's a whole bunch of running there's a whole bunch of running backs there too, but nobody nobody worth a damn besides besides Lamar Miller. And then you add Irvin to that mix, and I think it's going to be quite clear of his athleticism and talent when, when it comes to game time and how they want to use him. And, you know, they stocked up on wide receivers in this draft too, so if they can spread some things out, create some space for Irvin to do some damage, that could be very exciting there for Houston. I think Houston might be a potential uh, deep playoff team, Nick. I, I, I don't want to curse them, but I think they may be finally figuring some things out there. I love that pick there with uh, Irvin at uh, my number eight. Who do you have at number seven there, Nick? Uh, at number seven, I have Paul Perkins for the New York Giants. Uh, it's another running back by committee situation. Rashad Jennings, Andre Williams, Shane Vereen's the third down back. But, I mean, come on, Rashad Jennings is pretty, getting pretty old for a running back standards. Uh, Andre Williams has never really shined in the NFL quite yet. So the opportunity could be there for Perkins to earn some playing time with the Giants. Yeah, I, I was looking at some of my rosters this morning thinking, well, I suppose I'll probably cut Andre Williams this summer. Uh, I had such high aspirations for him, but yeah. Uh, my number seven is CJ Procise. Um because they drafted him where they did. I think he'll he'll get a quality opportunity, and again, it's going to depend on Rawls. You know, Seattle's not a team that really seems to draft well. You don't know what they're doing, but they do develop players well. And, you know, they couldn't. 
seems like every time they make it, tried to make it work with just one guy in their backfield last year, it worked for a couple of games and then they got hurt. So you can't, you can't really blame them for loading up uh, on running backs, especially guys with a lot of different versatility. Alex Collins, who you know, like I said, I got way down at fifteen. He's he's a really hard nose runner. He's been been compared to Marshawn Lynch. He's a little bit taller. Has nothing. Hasn't produced anything in the passing game. So that's gonna that's gonna keep him down. But geez, precise if you can get him coming off coming off uh, you know a block and, and creating some damage. I think that's gonna be very good for Seattle and. Again, it's a huge situation up in the air, and I and I as much as I like both of these guys, I'm tr- I'm really trying to stay away from my rookie drafts just because I don't want the headache, unfortunately. So, uh, uh, but uh, who you know, what can be said is if somebody does rise to the top, you know they they played very solid and gave a lot of effort to to get to that point. So if somebody does rise to the top, it is their official running back number one next year. I could, I'd feel very confident in, in getting that player, but uh, just because of the competition they beat out there. So, and don't worry about the running back they drafted in the seventh round that Zach Brooks. He's, he's absolutely nothing. He won't probably even make the roster. No, no disrespect, Mr. Brooks. I just, that's how I feel. Who do you have at number six there, Nick? Uh, number six, I have Jordan Howard in Chicago. And you know what? I really thought about putting him a little higher, mainly because I don't trust Jeremy Langford at all. Uh, but, you know, Howard's weakness as a blocker could mean less snaps for him. Uh, and it's 6'1", 230 pounds, though. I think he should at the very least be a touchdown vulture uh, there in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do think that you know, as much as I kind of wanted to put him higher myself, he's actually my number six as well. So we finally agree on one here, Nick. <laughs> the the problem, yeah, the problem is, yeah, he could be this awesome solid pounder, or he could be Brandon Jacobs. I hate to always go back to the whole Brandon Jacobs thing, but I I think it's a reference that everybody understands. Um, uh, Bill Survey, one of our one of our experts here on staff really likes Jordan Howard and thinks he produced a lot more in the passing game than he's ever shown in college. So that, that could be bad news for Lankford if he does start to show that. So um, I like to call him jumping Jordan Howard. I don't know why it just sounds fun, but uh, I think it's, I think it's a great situation there for, for the bears and, and kind of a hard situation for, uh, for fantasy owners to figure out. I think Lankford still sees, Probably 70% of the snaps or touches, I guess we would say, this year. But uh, I, we'll, And we'll see what Howard does. Remember, John Fox does not like to play rookies. So it took a lot for Langford to actually see, you know, a respectable number of touches. And then, you know, honestly, they all honestly, they had to go there when Forte got dinged up. So that's, that's kind of how that ended up working out there. But uh, I – He's a guy that, like I said, I don't expect a whole lot from as a rookie, but I think could be very, very solid option and probably take over Langford. As much as I love Langford, he, he does does some really good things and creates creates for himself very well. You know, maybe maybe he's better served as a third down back. He is a converted wide receiver. Who do you have at number five, there, Nick? 
Well, uh, this just goes to show what a cluster this group of running backs is between number two and number, say, 15, because uh, Kenyon Drake is my number five at Miami. He's got the injury history, but, you know, a broken leg in 2014 and a bo- broken arm last year, that doesn't scare me as much as if he had, uh, you know, had tendon or ligament uh, damage. Uh, so, you know, with only Jay Ajayi in front of him, I think it wouldn't surprise me at all if Kenyon Drake ends up being the starter at some point this year. You know, no disrespect, Nick, but I don't. I honestly don't see Drake as anything but a third down back, and maybe I'm wrong. But what do you want out of a third down back? You want a guy that can pass if necessary, and that is probably his worst attribute. So, I just don't see him as a running back. I think, you know, he made some plays where he split out wide for Alabama, Alabama the last couple of years, and he looked spectacular. And you, know, but also it's not like Miami needs wide receivers. I, I, just, I just don't see it. I, I respect your opinion there. I just, I just don't see it. And like I said, if I wasn't a Jay Ajay owner, I wouldn't even be considering Drake for my team. Um, number five, I got Devontae Booker. Um, I, we, we, you know, we obviously already talked about him quite a bit. I, I think it's going to take a year, and I, and I really hope Denver realizes that. You know, the, the minor meniscus surgery again. You know. Meniscus when that's when that is up in the air, you know, if there's a tear or whatever it is, you really got. I mean, that's what that's the reason we haven't seen Victor Cruz for two years. Now I know that was probably a, a definitely more severe as opposed to minor injury, but I just I really hope Denver is able to sit and wait and let him come come through and let him be be the back that he could be as long as he's okay. The, but again, the age just there prevents me from rating, ranking him Excuse me, a little bit higher than maybe I should. Who do you got there at number four, Nick? Uh, number four, I got you, uh, Kenneth Dixon in Baltimore. You know, you guy, I, I really don't know what to think. He is a good player, definitely. But, you know, so is Buck Allen and Justin Forsett, still the starter there. Lorenzo Taliaferro still in town. And some guy named Trent Richardson, I think. <laughs> Let's not kid ourselves. Trent Richardson's not going to be fantasy relevant. But he is going to take some reps in practice, which could hinder the development a little bit of Kenneth Dixon. So, you know, he's definitely a good player, but somebody who I probably will not end up with in any drafts. Um, do they have – Ryan Turbin too, or is that or is he an indie? There's somebody else there with experience too on that team. I we're at number four, and I also have Dixon at number four, um, which makes me really wonder who Nick has at number three because I am totally stumped. Um, but yeah, again, I think he's a guy that's going to rise, and it might take a year. I think he's a better player than Javoris Allen, Buck Allen, whatever you want to call him. So I, 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 I really like what he brings. I think it's going to take some time for his NFL team to Terrence West. That's the other back they have there, Terrence West. Um, I really think it's going to take some time to convince even Ozzie Newsom and company and the coaching staff there that he is a do-it-all NFL back. I think they're going to maybe keep the reins on him for that first year or so because, I mean, obviously they want him to learn. And, you know, I, I will grant the fact that, you know, Conference USA is definitely a huge step into the NFL, especially in a you know a tough, hard-nosed division like this one. But uh, I just think ultimately he could be Ray Rice, and I, and I 
the player, obviously, but he could be a, in a very solid player there. So, but yeah, like I said, Forsett, Talia Farrell, Allen, West, and Trent Richardson. That's a lot of lot of bodies there in camp. Who do you have at number three, Nick? I'm so curious. Well, number three, I have uh, Devontae Booker in Denver. Uh, he he may have oh. been drafted higher than the fourth round if he wasn't coming off that knee injury, which, like you mentioned earlier, required some uh, quote unquote minor surgery. Uh, Devontae Booker is a good all-around back. I think if I was a Ronnie Hillman owner, I would definitely be panicking. Uh, and even C.J. Anderson owners should be uh, be a little bit worried about Devontae Booker possibly uh, eating into that workload there. He, he's a guy I, I like at number three. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I, I knew that was your number three. He said that earlier. I just I got a little lost in the shuffle of who's in who's, in who's top ten. But uh, any guesses who my number three is, Nick? I, I know I, I like Dixon Booker. and Booker. I, I would guess Booker, since you already said Dixon was your number four, yeah. But, but Booker was my number five. I said that, didn't oh, I? Um, so mine, yeah, no idea then. It's Keith Marshall, man. I cannot, <laughs> I cannot beat down the Keith Marshall door enough. I mean, this is yeah. I know he was the seventh round pick, but. And I said that last week. It, once once he does something spectacular, there's going to be some adjustments in their offense, and it's going to be uh, Matt Jones a lot less reps. You know, Matt Jones is, you know, it's, Matt Jones was drafted way too high. A lot of people thought last year, and I think that's a case where you know he's he's going to be a solid NFL running back, but he's not the dynamic fool that Marshall is. If Marshall can. Stay healthy. That's the big risk with him. Have already having that ACL and still, still running in the four threes. Uh, uh, that that's a huge risk, especially when you get going that fast, because uh, those collisions are so violent, like we talked about in the running back podcast. But oh man, Nick, you got you got to be excited. I mean, I think about a potential, you know, another Clinton Portis player. I just I, I don't know what Clinton Portis's forty time was. Uh, but I'm sure it's not not as fast as Marshall. You just you see it when you get out in space, and just he just blazes. And I I got no problem being being bullish on Marshall and taking taking him over guys. I haven't drafted him over Dixon or Booker, but I honestly haven't had the chance to draft him over Dixon or Booker because Dixon and Booker are gone. And that's another reason why I think you get such great value with Marshall because. There's only Matt Jones there. You know, Chris Thompson is nothing but a, but a, a third down back at best. Even if even we'll see if he even remains on that roster. But uh, yeah, the, the other stables there with Booker and Dixon are, are definitely a little full. So Marshall just has Matt Jones to beat out, and I, I don't know. I don't know, Nick, who who the best seventh round pick in Washington Redskins history is. But I think I think you might have one on your roster right now. Uh, and it wasn't Colt Brennan. It wasn't Colt Brennan in the seventh round, or do you guys take him in the sixth? Um, anyway, who do you got number two there, Nick? Well, I hope you're right on Keith Marshall, but number two, I have Derrick Henry, uh, the Alabama running back that's in Tennessee. Now I don't love it. I'm not going to end up with this guy, you know, in DFW 48, he's going in the range, the same range as uh, guys like Sterling Shepard, Michael Thomas, uh, you know, one owner actually took him ahead of, uh, Coleman and Dachson, uh, 
I could not do that. I would not pay that price for him. This, this whole running back class is pretty meh to me. So there, but there's nobody I can rank over him at number two. So Derrick Henry is number two for me. He sounds so bored. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To put him in number two, I had to put him there too. Uh, he, like I said last week, he's being groomed to be the next Demarco Murray. Maybe sooner than later. Maybe it happens in December this year. I, I think. People were so confused, but remember, Tennessee had all these extra picks, so they could afford to just be like, yeah, be, let's get sexy with this one. So I I love it. I think it's a great move. Um, I think it's a guy, if this team does become successful and become a guy, uh, you know, like an annual over 500 team, you know, two or three years down the road, hopefully Henry is still healthy, and he's a guy that you can hand off the ball to. He can be that Eddie George player that you can give him the ball 20 times, 20 plus times a game, eat up that clock, protect your lead. I think it's a great move for the future there. And maybe, you know, maybe he doesn't see a lot of, a lot of reps this year. And and I'd be totally fine with that because what he can present in the future, in the future for this team is huge. I really think that could be the case. I wanted to ask everybody, Mike Crafting about him because I've noticed he's taken him in a couple leagues. So uh, uh, speaking of leagues, Nick, are you still on the clock there in the cronies league? Or did you make that pick? Uh, I, I, I am. I will make that pick as soon as we are off the air. Oh, okay. I just, who are you going to take? Um, I have not actually seen who the top three selections were, so I can't tell you. So it was uh, Zeke. I took Treadwell. Uh, so, yeah, Bruce took Zeke. I took Treadwell. And Brad took um, Coleman. So, Looks like you get well, more I guess uh, again, Doxson. Yeah, Doxson's going to be uh, my pick in the second league now. Woohoo! Such a Redskins homer. But anyway, um, who who do you who do you have a number one, Nick? Your number one running back? Well, you know, I might be a homer, but at least I'm not reaching for the guy. If he's there at number four, I think that's pretty good value. Uh, but at number one, I got of course, <laughs> of course, it's Ezekiel Elliott from Ohio State. The Dallas running back, fourth overall in the draft. I mean, what more can you say? Unanimous number one in rookie drafts. Um, You know, all all that I will add is that after dominating my Ducks in the national championship game, and now he's playing in Dallas, and the the fact that I own zero shares of him, uh, Zeke could end up one of my most disliked players from a personal standpoint. (laughs) Uh, What about rookie rushing yards? What do you got? What do you think he's going to get there? Oh, oh, he's a he's a top even in redraft leagues. He's a top five running back. I, don't don't kid yourself. This Darren McFadden, his value just got shot. Uh, same goes for Alfred Morris. Uh, he, he's an every down back, you know, Todd Gurley type, but without the injury history. Got, got a lot of everything you, everything that you could love about a running back. Ezekiel Elliott has. So uh, yeah, very bullish on him. Mm-hmm. What about? Rushing yards, though, as a rookie, what do you think? 1,200, 1,500, 1,500 too much, oh, somewhere in between? Let's go Let's go 1,310 touchdowns. How does that sound? Ah, oh, okay. Um, I'll go 1,301. No. <laughs> uh, and 11 touchdowns. But anyway. Uh, well, at least you beat out Melvin Gordon if he had one touchdown. Oh, oh, that hurts. That hurts. Um, 
if Tony Romo stays healthy, obviously, is huge. I mean, you know, people say barring injury, he can get 1,200 yards. And when they say that, they're not talking about Zeke. I think Zeke could probably get 900 yards playing, you know, playing on a, an injured leg this year. If Romo stays healthy and they, you know, they are a good team and their defense can keep them in games, he could be devastating. So, oh, by the way, Zeke's my number one, too, in case you were really <laughs> curious. Uh, let's get, ooh. Let's get to some uh, dynasty trade analysis. I, you know, we could. I was thinking the other day we could honestly have a dynasty trade show, especially this time of year where we just talk about dynasty trades for four hours. Um, but uh, we're not going to do that because that that doesn't. I mean, it's as fun as that sounds. I don't know how many people would listen to all four hours of it. So let's get to some just four trades here. <laughs> Time for Dynasty Trade Analysis. Okay, so I know we just played the clip for this, but I I should tell everybody I'm I'm deep in, in Debbie land right now and as well as doing a couple other things and as we talked about the top ten this year and Nick said it is it is weak class and I do tend to agree. I think there's you know it's definitely a lot of role players. In case you're not on the up and up or in your in your first dynasty league this year, the two thousand seventeen running back class that is coming is going to be hell of fun. It's going to be so much. I mean, you can probably get a guy like Christian McCaffrey at the end of the first because there's so much top-end talent. Leonard Fournette, Nick Chubb, Delvin Cook, Jalen Hurd out of Tennessee, the Oklahoma back, whose name I'm not going to pronounce. So there's a lot. Uh, I wrote the wide receiver debut report that came out earlier this week, too, so make sure you check that out on DFW. We also started our trading spaces uh, series those are going to be going here for the next month. We talk about players moving to different teams. Um, Colby Fleener up this morning. Jeff, excuse me, Jeff Janis spotlight was on today, um, and I think we have Brandon LaFell coming tomorrow. So check that out. Uh, interesting stuff there that Ellen and his his boys got there with that uh, trading spaces there type of situation. I really like really like that. It's it's always good analysis by that that side of our DFW family here. But uh, yeah, there's even there's even a couple running backs that I haven't even talked about in this 2017 that I haven't written on the specs yet because uh, that could that Debbie reports could be fun and that classic could be awesome. Let's get to some dynasty trade analysis, Nick. Um, you thought I was going to play the clip again? DFW 48. Now I keep trying to figure this one out and I keep looking at it like I think it's wrong. But Cam Newton and 2.09 for for Aaron Rodgers and 1.09. Did he really just trade Cam Newton and get Aaron Rodgers and a first-round pick? <laughs> I keep thinking the pick's wrong. I kept, I kept looking. No, no, the guy that traded Newton gave up the first, right? No, he got a first. What do you got? Yeah, that, that's a tough one for me. I think it's pretty even. Just, you know, Aaron Rodgers is a lot older than Cam Newton, but I personally would not have made this trade if I was the Newton owner. I, I just... I, Right now, I think Newton's the number one 
uh, quarterback in dynasty formats. And I, you know, if it were maybe an earlier first round pick, I would think about it. But 1.09, that's not well. I know, and I know it's DFW 48, so that was a so it is an early first round pick. But still, you know, it's not an Ezekiel Elliott pick. So I think I would personally have held on to Cam Newton. But I mean, what do you what do you think about just Rogers? Would you trade Newton for Rogers at this point? I don't know if I will. I know the longevity is a little bit there for Newton, but I just think Rogers is the better quarterback, even fantasy wise, right? Because Newton can't continue to run, right? I don't know. Personally, I would take Newton over Rogers if it's just just straight up one one on one discussion. I would take Cam Newton. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we'll we'll leave it at that. A little divided there, but that's okay. Um, DFW thirty six one point zero one four one. The rest of these are going to be kind of boring because they're all just picks. But I, I think I think it's good to talk about one point zero one four, one point zero six, and two point zero three. Hey, I think I did this trade. Yeah, I did this trade. What do you What do you think? Um, yeah, I, I think that's a fair price to give up to uh, move up to the number one overall pick to, the, to obtain Ezekiel uh, Elliott. Uh, the guy's an elite talent. If you need a running back, he's pretty much the running back to get in this year's draft class. So if you have a contending team, I have no problem with trading pretty much whatever it takes to move up to get the guy. Okay, so then I, I, I confuse you, Nick, because I was telling everybody the uh... – this is one. This is DFW thirty six, so it's actually one point one one. But in translation, in regular one, regular twelve team league, it'd be one point zero four. So this is not trading oh, okay. Elliot. Um, I'm sorry. Um, so it was. This is me trading out of not wanting to make the decision for Corey Coleman versus Josh Doxson. I I really tried to make the decision. And then I know Mike Kraft such a Corey Coleman homer, so I thought, oh, maybe I can get a lot from him. Wasn't the case. He had to watch a movie with his wife. Um, <laughs> inside inside knowledge there. But anyway, I was able to trade back a couple spots. So, again, it's confusing because there's three copies of each player. So all the Zeke copies are gone. All the Treadwell copies are gone. Um, and then, you know, there was still a copy of Doxson and Coleman left. I just couldn't make the decision. Nick Nick had to make that decision the other day, left me Coleman. I guess uh, I, I was happy that I didn't have to make that decision again. Um, so, and I ended up, so what I did is I traded back, and I ended up taking Sterling Shepard and uh, Will Fuller. Which, who, I, I know it's, you know, I know neither one of those guys are, you know, top Coleman or Doxson probably, but I think getting quality, Quantity over quality at that point was okay, especially because my team is horrible. If I can get two wide, you know, if I can get two great wide receiver twos, as opposed to just having one wide receiver one, I, I I'm certainly going to go that because my team needed needed wide receivers, and I certainly in been able to be stocked this year as I got. Uh, oh, sorry, Shepard, Fuller also took Mike Thomas. And uh, Malcolm Mitchell. So four, four of my five, first five rookie picks in that league were wide receivers. So pretty, pretty happy with that. And that was certainly a, a definite need for me. I'm not gonna, 
be bullish and go after running backs in the first or second uh, when I know my team's not going to compete. So that's something to keep in mind there. Uh, any other thoughts there, Nick? Well, given the context of the trade, uh, knowing the guys that you got, Shepard and uh, and uh, Fuller, I, I absolutely love the trade now on your side. Uh, Shepard's a guy I have right up there ranked with, uh, just just barely below the whole Doxon Coleman level. So, you know, he's a guy I really like there with the New York Giants. And adding another wide receiver who was a first-round pick for the Texans, I, I think you got really good value in that trade. Yeah, and adding adding to the whole gamble is, and going back and forth between this being the first round of DFW 36 and I already being in the DFW 48 draft for a couple of days, is, I was like, oh, sweet, I can trade down and still get Shepard. And then I realized after I made the trade, there was four picks in between us, but there's only three copies of each player. So I'm just like, so potentially all three copies of Sterling and Shepard could be gone by the next time I pick. They weren't. I woke up to, I woke up very happy the next morning, but, uh, yeah, I I I thought about that right afterwards. I was like, oh man, I could I could have just screwed myself. Well, I guess Tyler Boyd would have been nice, would have been a nice consolation, but uh, he's not Sterling Shepard certainly. Um, so I don't get this, and maybe I just haven't been in a startup where this has been huge. But I'm in a startup right now with the guys at um, Dynasty Football Factory, offensive only, and. All not, not all day long, but especially early on in these first like three to five, probably first two to five rounds, two to five range, people want to trade, you know, like three picks just so they can move up in in you know like one round, and I I just I don't I mean, not that I don't get it, I just feel like I don't I don't know I just I don't what do you, I don't know if you. Had a, had a chance to look at these trades uh, very much, Nick. But the, again, these are from a startup. So 2.05, 4, 5.08, excuse me, 2.05, 5.08, 9.08, 4.2.08, 5.05, and 9.05. Three spots. What do you think? Um, I think it's fairly even. I think I would prefer to be higher in the, the earlier rounds rather than the late rounds. I think there's a lot more differential uh, between player talent in each slot in the early rounds than there is in the fifth and the ninth round. So I, I would take whoever got the uh, the earlier slot in the in the early rounds. Yeah, and. I kind of kind of agree there too, and I didn't get mixed up into any of this, but this is a league that you know, I people are just going all out for these young wide receivers, and I know that's how you want to build your dynasty roster. But um, for an example, some of the weird phenomena like Matt Forte just went in twelfth round. I took him in the second round of a startup last year, and and I know he's his heightened age, but people people have just been staying away from running backs. So and I, I too thought, well, I'm just going to build this wide receivers, you know, after the first couple of rounds, I'm just going to, just going to build those wide receivers there in the middle chunks. But everybody was doing that. I mean, at one point I was like, gosh, do I take Ellen Hearns in the fourth? Uh, I did not end up doing that. So right where I'm at right now, I took Beckham first, or excuse me, second overall. Then I took Andrew Luck in the second, followed it up with T.Y. Hilton. Um, and then, Guys like 
Devontae Freeman, who were going early second, were still there for me in the fourth. So I ended up taking Freeman, and then I got Adrian Peterson in the fifth round. Now, I know Peterson's maybe only got two years left, but, I mean, if there's still two elite years, right? So I think I'm sitting, setting myself up pretty pretty okay in that league. And I think I'm going to – it's it's nice to have roster spots. I mean, you can't, you can't always go into that uh, – rookie draft draft seven guys and then have you know you know only three spots on your roster so i mean it's it's okay to have old guys and i that's kind of some of the lessons i think i've learned here just being a dfw and watching like bruce kimbrough just draft old player after old player last year in our dfw 16 league guess what he had a pretty damn awesome team oh yeah he won the league that year so you know, just rounding my team out in this league, just things that have fallen to me. Like I said, Luck, Freeman, Peterson. I got Charles Sims a little bit later. Uh, Beckham, Crabtree, uh, Crowder, Fitzgerald, Funches, Hilton, and then I took Clive Walford. I took Clive Walford above Matt Forte and Jimmy Graham. Just, just to see, just let you guys know how things are going in the startup right now. Uh, this year, but anyway, I, yeah, I just, uh, I, this whole trading picks in the startup just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Nick is, uh, I guess the second one's kind of the same thing, so we don't necessarily need to talk about it, but uh, it's just something that I see happening a lot. So I thought it was certainly something that we should address a thing going on out there in the dynasty land. And I just, I just wanted to, any, any more thoughts on, on that process of trading multiple picks like that in a startup? Yeah, that's something I've never been a part of uh, as far as trading trading picks in a startup. But uh, yeah, I guess the same rule flies in a startup as a rookie draft. If, if there's a guy you really, really want, um, you know, trade up and go get him. Yeah, it's what I followed this week with uh, getting Carson Wentz in a couple of leagues. So, so I guess really, if you know, if, if the owner really wanted had his heart set on a guy, you got to do what it takes to get him. Mm-hmm. And. You know, these leagues with multiple copies of each player, too, it's kind of fun to see, like, how. And a lot of the people that are in DFW 36 are also in DFW 48. As soon as I took Malcolm Mitchell in the, in the mid-second of DFW 36, all of a sudden copies just started flying out flying out of the place. Um, in, in a few different leagues that a lot of us that are, are in. So it, it's funny when how somebody outs, outs a player and takes a copy, and then all of a sudden they start going, Going elsewhere, I was like, oh, and I could not believe how far down Malcolm Mitchell was ranked. It was ridiculous. He was behind, like, guys that are going to be the fifth wide receiver in Cleveland. I mean, it was it's it's stupid. I mean, he's I I think he's going to ultimately rise to the top and be a starter there in New England. Maybe it takes a year, but why, why not? I think it's a, like a thing. And he's also one of those things where if he has a stellar rookie year. You know, it's not going to be a four or five year thing because Brady's probably not going to be there in four or five years. So I can certainly probably trade high on him if he has an awesome rookie season. People are going to expect him to get just get better from there. So, um, kick Josh out of the war room. I still don't have a clip for this, but this is just something that has been kind of on my mind and something that crept back into my head as I was doing these uh, Debbie reports and kind of assembling my players. Nick, you know, one thing. People talk about when you when you got any reports on these rookie wide receivers is oh versatility you know they he can line up at all three wide receiver positions he can line up in the slot he can be in the backfield and shotgun I think that's a bit of a mirage in college just because 
of course this guy can line up at all positions. He's going to be an NFL draft pick because he's the best wide receiver on this team. So they're moving him around. Just because he played three different wide receiver positions in college doesn't mean he can play that in the pros. Some team is going to draft him in the NFL specifically to play the slot or specifically to be the Z motion wide receiver. Don't you think? Yeah, I definitely see, uh, you know, it would be nice to have a guy who's uh, specialized in the one role. You know, if he just played in the slot in the in college, he's going to be experienced in that position to move to the NFL. Uh, but there is a side, you know, that says uh, a guy that, that uh, you know, played all sorts played all over the field in college, he's going to be more adaptable and more versatile. And, you know, it's definitely a two-sided coin. You know, uh, it's kind of a pick-your-preference type of thing. Sure, and I just think it's one of those things that maybe we oversell uh, oversell just a little bit. Just because you saw this player line up in the slot four times in one game, all of a sudden he's – one of the top most versatile wide receivers in the class. No, it's it's just because they were trying to get him open. It's, you know, it's not, it's just as much as saying like, you know, I remember falling in love with the Oregon duck offensive tackle, Tyler Johnstone, because he was just manhandling Shalik Cahoon. And then new, uh, finally Michigan state just moved him to the other side of the line, which is something that he never does. So they're, you know, now people could say, well, he played both sides. Of, you know, he played both sides. You know, he could be a weak side or a strong side linebacker because Michigan State moved him all over. No, they moved him over that one game so he could get to the quarterback and try to control <laughs> control things because he couldn't get past this one player. So, I mean, that's why that's why players do that. I think I think we maybe tend to oversell that a little bit. So, if you see somebody say, you know, this wide receiver. Um, and maybe it goes for all players. Maybe, if, oh, they're versatile because they can do this. Take that, you know, like Nick said, it's a double-sided coin, but take it with a, a grain of salt, and I won't stop talking in cliches. Um, well, and also so, we've got to remember that, that, that college, college playbooks are so much smaller than NFL playbooks. So, you know, even if a receiver played all three different receiver positions in college, there may have been only, you know, a handful of plays at each position that he actually had to learn. So it definitely, you do have to take it with a grain of salt, like you said. Yeah, most definitely. Um, so we kind of already been in and out of this, but uh, rookie drafts are certainly in full swing right now. Um, and any thoughts, Nick? Just general thoughts, kind of on the process. You know, I feel like I learn different things and things that work and things that don't. What, what do you, what do you think? Um. Well, you know, like you said, uh, sometimes you have to set the market. Uh, if you really want a guy and he's the number one player at his position, like in my mind, Carson Wentz is a quarterback. Um, so, you know, for me, there was two teams I had that I really needed a quarterback. One of them, my two guys were Eli Manning and Phillip Rivers. Wanted to get a young guy there. Uh, another league, uh, uh, one of my t- uh, two quarterbacks was uh, Ben Roethlisberger. So I really wanted to get a third younger quarterback quarterback. Uh, I'm not sold on Jared Goff, not sold on Paxton Lynch. So uh, Carson Wentz was pretty much the only name for me. So in one league, it took me trading a fifth, sixth, and a seventh round pick, who honestly, those guys I didn't have roster space for anyway, uh, to move up a handful of picks to get Carson Wentz. That was in DFW 16, and super happy about that. Uh, In uh, DFW 48, I tried to trade a late second and a third this year and a third next year. I I offered that trade to about five or six guys on the clock 
before somebody finally accepted, so I was able to get the last car- copy of Carson Wentz in that league. Uh, it, it was a stressful day for me. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> you know, offering that trade, having it rejected, whoever was on the clock selecting a player, but the player not being Carson Wentz, so I just kept re-offering the trade to the next guy and finally got my guy. Yeah, and like I said, you know, a few, oh, last month when we were talking about orphan teams and these leagues where there's multiple copies, if there's still that, you know, there's still are two or three copies of a player left there when you go to draft, you, if you can trade down and get an extra pick because your team needs that or you can get an extra pick next year, you, you certainly got to look into that and, and do that. I mean, don't don't piss people off from being on the clock too long, but, uh, you know, work work it how you can and just make sure – Make sure you're getting the best the best compensation. If you don't have a choice and nobody's biting, just take that player and, like Nick said, you know, set the market. Maybe other maybe all the other copies are gone, and then you can get a, a player later on that maybe would have gone earlier than that. As people kind of shift around to that, so uh, yeah. Um, any thoughts? I mean, I like I said earlier, Nick, it was kind of my uh, kind of my own fault, but I just. Looking at my looking at my linebackers, thinking I just had my linebackers in DFW sixteen were Denzel Perryman, who played very very well last year in, in somewhat a limited role, and I expect big things out of him this year. But you know what? That might not happen. I'm and I'm pretty pretty okay, and not I'm not okay if that doesn't happen. But I think. I think there's a legitimate chance that, you know, he gets a little bit overwhelmed. He He's a little undersized. He's a hell of a hitter, but, you know, maybe maybe he isn't going to be an, an LB1. My other inside line, my uh, my other line, one of my other awesome linebackers in that league was Stephon Anthony, who looks like he's going to be on the outside. So I think my linebackers were certainly in need here. And I think, albeit I'm in a very tough division with you, Bill Latt, and then Gary Bedette, uh, I don't know why I did that when we stood up early. But anyway, <laughs> um, I think my team is still a very solid team. And so I went and took Miles Jack. And with my third first-round pick, I took Miles Jack because I think he's a guy that, you know, maybe he doesn't do awesome things this year. But I think he's got a three- or four-year window where he could be just a – a rock solid player and certainly elevate my IDP roster. So do you think that was pick was too high now that you know my reasons behind it? And I didn't know that you were going to start the quarterback turn here. Um, well, when you took him, I did not think it was too high and definitely now knowing your reasons behind it and uh, knowing a little bit more about your depth chart. Yeah, that was a, that was a great pick in my mind. I mean, it filled a need. He's definitely a super talented guy, and as long as the injury is, doesn't come back to bite him, I think he's going to be a great pro. So, yeah, I have no problem with that pick whatsoever. Yeah, I like I said, I'm, the injury concerns do worry me just a little bit. But, uh, yeah, and, you know, trading up or trading down, I think definitely just, just got to be careful and know what you're getting into. Um I one thing I think when people trade up is they I think they trade they give you want to obviously overwhelm somebody to trade up but you you get a little over overzealous and people tend to give up a little bit too much when they trade up so Brad if you could take advantage of that it's okay but uh, I also think you got to look at your team like 
I talked about last week where I didn't want to make the decision between Coleman and Doxon. And I know people people out there picking later in a draft are like, oh, my gosh, you poor thing. But I couldn't <laughs> – I thought I didn't want to. I just couldn't make it. You know, I was thinking pros and cons in my head. And at the time, I'd just gotten off work. I'm on the clock in, like, three different leagues. And I'm like, gosh. I mean, I know both of these guys – are going to be awesome, and, I, and I'm probably going to be very, very, very happy, but I just couldn't make the decision. I was able to trade down, grab two players that I think are going to be very, very good. Maybe not as good as that one player I would have got, but I think they're going to be very, very good players. And I got I got that extra pick. I think, I think it was – in that case, it was okay to, to gamble a little bit. But if your team, you know, if you're picking high, it's because your team wasn't very bad or you made some crazy trades. But if you can get – a quantity stab there over quality, I think that's okay. And and I guess what do you, what do you think about the quantity over quality thing, Nick, in terms of rookie drafts if your team is bad? You know, if I think, like I said, I don't think I'm that far off with Shepard especially, and I get an extra piece like Fuller. I mean, I know you I know you already praised me for that earlier, but what do you think about the quali- quantity over quality of that aspect of the first round? Um, I think uh, quantity is always the way to go. Uh, you, you look at even the first-round picks in the NFL, half of them end up being busts. So, you know, the more the more lottery tickets you have to scratch off, the better. So definitely go with, go with quantity. Obviously don't trade your number one overall pick for, you know, 112 and a fifth-round pick. But, you know, in, in general, I definitely like to acquire a lot of picks and then see how things shake out in training camp and, you know, you might have to cut a few of them, but at least you got you got a few scratch tickets to see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you know, I know I've talked about it before, but a caution, maybe a bit of a cautionary tale. Last year, I was lucky enough to knew a team that I needed wide receivers on. I had a team that needed wide receivers on, and I was lucky enough to grab Kevin White and Brashard Perryman. Guess what? Together, they played zero NFL snaps last year. So. <laughs> That I mean, that could happen. I mean, I'm not saying they're bust, but we we don't know. We still, still they're still their value still up in the air. It's, it's still a mystery now. I know people have been trading, uh, you know, a fairly substantial amount of picks or players for those still those two players just because of their potential. But I, I, I'm still holding on because I think I think they can really inject some some life into my team because that's what I needed last year. Um, any thoughts about the trade I made in our cronies league, Nick, yesterday? I traded Eric Decker and got 1.09 and 3.09. Uh, yeah, I thought that was a you know pretty even trade. Obviously, the guy who's going for Decker is in a win-now type of mode. That's my guess. Uh, so, yeah, uh, on your side, you know, you had a pretty early first-round pick, if I'm not mistaken, in that league. So, probably not looking at a championship run this season. So, picking up a first-round pick and a third-round pick for somewhat of an aging wide receiver, I, I think, uh, uh, yeah, I like I like your side in that, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, and I had the number two overall pick in that league, so then I'm going to have the ninth overall pick. So, you know, I could potentially get, like, a Tyler Boyd type of player who I think, could honestly be very as good as Eric Decker given time in the NFL. Um, I tried to trade down. I couldn't really find any takers. Um, there's another position of need that I really want to address. So grabbing, getting that extra ninth round, excuse me, third round pick, I really, 
I really liked. And, you know, Decker's is a guy that's getting up there. And I think he's only got one year left on his contract with Jets, so maybe he could be going uh, elsewhere. And, geez, who's the Jets quarterback? We I think we've established that uh, we, we don't really know at this point. So that's, that's – even if it's Geno Smith, Brandon Marshall is not going to be, you know, a top five fantasy wide receiver last year. Nick, like he was last year, it's not going to happen if Geno Smith is quarterback. Um, so – yeah, it's it's I I so I wasn't able to trade out of that that spot. I knew I had those same that same league, the same league where I had Kevin White and Perryman. I knew I had those guys coming up, and they're still a little bit of a gamble. So I again I had I, I had to make the decision between Coleman and, and Doxson, but Treadwell was also there. I am not totally sold on Treadwell. But I think it's a safe pick at 1.02, and I think I've seen I've seen that's pretty much the case. That's pretty much the consensus all over the place that people are taking Treadwell. I'm not saying I took him because all these other experts did, but I think it's certainly a safer play for me to take Treadwell as a guy as opposed to a guy like Coleman and Doxon, who I absolutely love their upside. But I already have two guys in pairing in the White that uh, you know are just potential slash upside type of players. I you know I. I think there's a little bit of a risk involved with Coleman and Doxson. Now Coleman's in Cleveland. I mean, we, we just we just don't know. Um, Doxson is just got these awesome awesome ball skills, but uh, they they're gonna they're gonna continue to have to build that offense around him to feature him. That being said, you know I've, I've listened to I hear a lot of Minnesota Vikings talk here in my area being being that they are the closest NFL team to me. Uh, Minnesota's talked about using Treadwell in the slot as a rookie and maybe only playing 50% of the snaps. That's fine. He's a, he's a great run blocker. He's going to be devastating for that team there. And he's going to be just this awesome safety valve. If you see Treadwell, I mean, can you think of the Treadwell guy, his size in the slot, he's a mismatch problem. He's going to knock He's going to knock DBs over in, in the run game. And uh, guess what? He's also this great safety valve for Bridgewater, who's got a nice touch to his passes. So I, I I think it's just a safer play for me there since I already have those two potential guys. So you have to look at – I think you have to look at prospects in that aspect too is, yeah, these guys have great, huge, high ceilings, but you want to have that – floor there too if you already have a couple of guys it's okay to gamble i mean it's okay to have all this team full of potential but i think to to what honestly is going to take my team out of the damn seller in that league is is maybe playing safe with a couple picks there any any other thoughts there on rookie drafts and mishaps uh well i mean you know potential we all love potential, but potential gets fired and it gets fantasy owners into last place or, you know, fighting it out for that number one overall pick. So I, I definitely uh, like the, like, I, I have no problem with going with a guy like Treadwell over Coleman and Doxon. Even though I personally would go with uh, those two guys over Treadwell, I have absolutely no problem with taking the safer guy, who I will definitely admit Treadwell is the safest, highest, uh, highest floor of all those top receivers. Yeah, yeah, most definitely, and we'll have more more reports from rookie draft land uh, next week, I'm sure. Um, 
moving. Ooh, we have a draft update. Let's update update these people here. Ooh, Alex Collins, 3.01, and Paxton Lynch, 3.02 there in DFW 48. Again, three copies of each player. Pretty sure that's the second copy of each of those guys there. So I got a couple of picks coming up in that league here, so I'm getting excited. Things are kind of slowing down. People are trying to get crafty right now and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, we'll leave it at that. So well, let's, you know, since we've been talking about some fairly good running backs today, I thought we would address um, the best number 34 in NFL history. Now, obviously – there might be a couple names out there, but there's really only one best number 34, right, Nick? Bo Jackson? Oh, I mean, Walter Payton. Sorry. Walter Payton, probably. What do you got for us, Nick? Well, you know what? Normally I break this down with, a, you know, mentioning some lower-end great uh, NFL players and then going with, like, a top three or whatever. Uh, this week I'm going to do it different. I'm going to uh, go with two top 34s and break it down alphabetically, A through O and P through Z, uh, just – because there's that many great players that wore number 34. Uh, you know, in the first half of the alphabet, I'm going to start with Dale Carter, the cornerback who went to four Pro Bowls in his seven seasons with Kansas City, 12 seasons in the NFL. He was the 1992 Defensive Rookie of the League, uh, Defensive Rookie of the Year when he had seven interceptions. Uh, now, us youngins might not know about Cowboys cornerback and safety Cornell Green. He was a five-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro. He never missed a game playing with Dallas. He won a ring in 1971, played from 1962 to 1974. Now, they say the brightest stars burn out the quickest, and that certainly was the case with Bo Jackson. He only played in 38 regular season games, but this guy was incredible. Uh you know, really, if, if you're going to ask me the top two running backs I've ever seen talent-wise, it would have to be Barry Sanders and Bo Jackson. He was that good, even with such a short career. And, you know, in Tech Mobile, of course, he was the greatest video game football player <laughs> of all time. <laughs> you know, if you ever want to go undefeated in a season in a video game, just be the Raiders and Tech Mobile. Uh, but, of course, the, the winner of the best 34 in the first half of the alphabet is the great Earl Campbell five-time Pro Bowler. He led the league in rushing each of his first three seasons, including 1,900 yards in 1980. Uh, Campbell was a tough, bruising runner. I was surprised to see that he actually measured out at only 5'11", 232 pounds. That does not scream... That does not does not tell you the type of power Earl Campbell ran with. He really was kind of one of a kind. Uh, now on to the second half of the number 34s. Not many seven-time Pro Bowlers and two-time Super Bowl champs aren't in the Hall of Fame, but such is the case with the great Steelers linebacker Andy Russell, who never missed a game in his career, which spanned from 1963 to 1976, all with the Steelers. Uh, All-world athlete Herschel Walker should get credit for Dallas' Super Bowl wins in the 1990s. After going to the Pro Bowl in 1987 and 1988, Minnesota traded about a decade's worth of draft picks to Dallas to acquire his services. After that trade, Herschel Walker only had one 1,000-yard season, and that was with Philadelphia, not even with the Vikings. Uh, Hall of Famer Thurman Thomas went to five straight Pro Bowls, had eight straight 1,000-yard seasons, and went to four straight Super Bowls with Buffalo. Has over 2,000 uh, rushing and receiving yards combined in the postseason alone. That's got to be a pretty rare feat. Uh, when I think of great dual threat running backs, two names really pop into my head, Marshall Falk and Thurman Thomas. It is really a shame that his Bills couldn't have beaten either the Giants or the Dallas Cowboys in one of those Super Bowls. But the greatest number 34 in the second half of the alphabet, and really overall, has got to be, like you said, Walter Payton. 
um, nine-time Pro Bowler, five-time All-Pro, ten straight 1,000-yard seasons in non-strike years, 110 touchdowns rushing. That's still fourth all-time. 16,726 yards. That's second all-time. And really, by all counts, he was just a wonderful person as well off the field. It is really tragic that the world lost such a great man so soon, as Walter was only 45 years when he passed away in 1999. I have to say, a case can be made that the number 34's history is stronger than any other number that we've done so far, and Walter Payton and Earl Campbell easily tops of the list, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, forget about the number. When you talk about Walter Payton, it, it, you can make the case that he's the greatest football player ever because he, he he was so solid. I mean, I know Frank Gore had close close to that. I think he had one injured year where he broke his leg. But he had close to, you know, I think he had 10 1,000-yard seasons in his career too. But, I mean, Walt, and Walter did that for some pretty terrible teams there early on in Chicago. He he did get his one Super Bowl ring, but yeah, what just what a like you said, a phenomenal man and just just an incredible player. So fun to watch. You know, I was looking at pictures of him today, just looking for a little inspiration. <laughs> and you, you see him just palming the ball with one hand. It's like, how did this guy even last in the NFL? He's just he's not even holding it, you know, into his body. He's just like holding the ball out with one hand, you know. Think that would get stripped nowadays, but uh, he he just did it because well he could he could get away from people he could create separation he had that uh, that beautiful little high step as he scored a touchdown I mean he he just was everything about football for for a lot of people and he obviously was very huge in the the city of Chicago but just a, like a phenomenal player and such a huge loss. Um, Speaking of Bo Jackson and Tecmo Bowl, Thurman Thomas, also, man, ace in the hole. Because that guy catch, too. I mean, Thurman, I think, I don't know what the total numbers, but I know Thurman led the led the league's, league in a couple different seasons with multi-purpose yards. And I think he had the all-time record there for a while until somebody broke it. But he could do it. Oh, man, he could absolutely do it all. Uh, running, catching. Um, he, I mean, he's – the a huge reason why that Bills team got to four Super Bowls. They don't they don't do that without just this absolute stud at running back. And people tend to forget about Thurman Thomas because the guy that superseded him at Oklahoma State was this little fellow by the name of Barry Sanders who was also very good, but didn't wear the number thirty four, so no no disrespect Barry, we're not talking about you today. But yeah, I mean Thomas was just an absolute beast. But yeah, and bowl for, you know, the short window that we got to see him rock solid. Walter Payton has to be uh, the, the best number 34. Good uh, good Dale Carter mentioned that, too. I forgot I forgot about him. Very, very solid player. You know, as growing up, you, you don't necessarily pay attention to defensive guys unless they're very, very good. But I, I, I always knew when Dale, Dale, Dale Carter was on the field that something something really special could happen because he was up, up – for early on in childhood, he was a guy that I knew there was a very special player on the other side of the ball, and you really only know about those players when they're that when are they they are that way. Excuse me. Um, anybody you've been looking at on your rosters here, Nick? Before we let 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 everybody go here, that just like uh, you know, like I said earlier, I guess I'm gonna have to cut Andre Williams. Is there people people floating around like that where you you know? 
kind of a plant your flag, wash your hands type of thing. I mean, obviously, if they're fringe players, you're not planting your flag in them. But is there is there some people just kind of in flux right now that maybe some other people out there are wondering about? Um, you know what? Honestly, I couldn't uh, I couldn't really tell you. I haven't. Uh, we're not close to the roster cut down dates in any of my leagues, so I haven't gone and looked at that. Um, obviously, guys like uh, Riley Cooper, who's not with the team right now, uh, somebody like that is somebody who's not going to make my final roster cut. But, uh, yeah, I, I really have not uh, taken a in-depth look at my rosters yet as far as cuts go. Okay. Fair enough. I'm just looking at a team here that I got, like, Marquise Lee and Leonard Hankerson and a couple other guys like that. <laughs> I'm just like, Oh, yeah. Bishop Sankey. I mean, what am I supposed to do with Bishop Sankey? Is he going to be a third down back there? Is he going to catch some passes this year? Oh, it's, just, it's weird what two years can do to your startup. Look at your team after a startup. And the one startup I had, I think three of my first six picks were Jimmy Graham. Took Jimmy Graham the first overall in the startup. Look where he's at now. Took Bishop Sankey in the fourth round and Nick Foles in the sixth. No wonder that. <laughs> no wonder I had the second overall pick in that league. Uh, yeah, and Nick managed to score Blake Bortles and Derek Carr in that same league. So I, I was all on the Nick Foles train. And hey, maybe he'll be the Jets quarterback. Just throwing it out there. But anyway, I'm not cutting Nick Foles just yet. Although I did trade him for a seventh round pick in one league. Um, just as kind of a screw you for nothing uh, type of thing. But anyway, at least you got something for him. Yeah, yeah. I could. Yeah, I don't know who I'm gonna get for him. I think I think I traded a seventh rounder next year. <laughs> uh, maybe not. Uh, uh, we'll see. I'll, I'll report back. I'm sure everybody's gonna be very interested in who I get for that seventh rounder. Um, that's all we have for you today. Next week, uh, IDP Captain Bill Latin is gonna be stopping by as we address. The IDP players from this 2016 class, kind of a kind of a top five defensive line linebacker DB thing, and I'm sure Bill will have a couple uh, couple nuggets of knowledge and a couple uh, couple players that he's uh, high on that are not in his ranks there. So uh, look forward to that. Well, maybe we'll let Bill do a lot of the work next week. Sunga, do you, Nick? Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, Bill definitely is more qualified <laughs> on the IDP uh, perspective than, than I am, definitely. All right, very cool. And uh, we didn't get to it this week, but uh, we are going to talk Michael Thomas versus Mike Thomas next week as well. And I might actually have another guest, too. I've been missing somebody here and there on the phone, so I will uh, we'll leave it a secret for now, but I might have another guest for you next week, too, so that should be that should be cool. It's going to be an awesome guest. I'll, I'll guarantee you that if we have another another guest. Maybe not as awesome as Bill, but an awesome guest nonetheless. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Pulse podcast. Make sure you stay in tune to DFW as we got articles cranking out, probably two a day right now. So make sure you get in tune with that. Uh, more debut reports come. We're updating the rookie the rookie uh, profiles as well. Now that they have landing spots, so it's going to be a couple week process. We ask you to be patient with this but we got some got some good knowledge coming there for you so uh nick have a good week we'll talk to you next week buddy all right sounds good we'll see you next week